Thank you, Wayne. It's good to see everybody here today. And for those of you that are visiting, you picked a good day because this is our last chapter in the book of Hebrews. Uh, last chapter, last sermon. And I sort of wish that there was a few more verses because this is our 50th sermon in the book of Hebrews. And I would have loved to say, if we could do three more, that it took me over a year to preach in Hebrews, you know, and I could have some bragging rights there, but I guess that's not going to work. I um, now have to say that it took me under a year to preach Hebrews, and everyone's going to say, well, you really didn't even do anything. But it is, a, uh, it is a privilege to be able to bring you the Word of God, and so if you do want to follow along in your Bible, you can go to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to take the last five verses, the very last five. And I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible um, straight through, but if you ever have and you're really, really aggressive, you could probably get it done in a year. <laughs> I mean, you could get it done much faster, but in the way our lives are, you know, if you can get through the Bible uh, in a year, that would be great. Um, hopefully you could get through it much faster. Um, but if you were to read through specific books of the Bible all at once, and I actually learned this from, from my old pastor, not old, not meaning old, but my previous pastor, Pastor Craig, who used to always encourage us to do this. And it's always great to stand up and read through a whole book. You don't have to stand up, but read through a book. If you were to do that at the average speed, you could get through Hebrews in 45 minutes, the whole book. And I think that's pretty cool because this is sort of like a sermon, the book of Hebrews. And so it kind of does tell us how long we should have to preach for, right? 45 minutes. Um, and so, I, but if you go through some of the other books, I think uh, I did some research. I think like Psalms is the longest. It would take you five hours. Uh, Genesis would be 3.5. And if you did get aggressive, take a week off from work, get a lot of coffee, and in 54 to 72 hours straight, you could read the whole Bible. And then get some sleep. And then do it again because you probably didn't remember anything. <laughs> so let's uh, go through our passage. This is actually a benediction. And we're going to get into that today, which is going to be a, a core aspect of the teaching. But the verse, uh, verse 20 is, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that's sort of like the our benediction that we do at the end of the service. It's sort of almost like a benediction and a doxology, which is what we sing at the end of service, right? Praise God from whom all, you get it. Now you sort of go to the end of the, 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 this passage, and this is a stretch, but it's almost like our announcements, right? There's not many here, but that's sort of how we do it when we do a sermon, right? We introduce the sermon, we do the topic, we take people, layered it through like he did through all the chapters of the book of Hebrews. And now at the end, he gives this benediction or doxology combo, and then also goes through a couple little uh, items that he has to tie up. And then, of course, he greets them at the end. So what are some of these things that he's encouraging them to do? So he says, now, may God equip you in every good thing to do his will, 
Okay, still part of it here. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So now he's sort of going into the final close. And again, some, some items here. Take note. Uh, notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all of the saints, those from Italy's, uh, Italy greet you, and grace be with you all. So we see here the end of the sermon, the end of this 45-minute sermon that was just read by the pastor of these people, and probably reread and reread and reread. But initially, when it washed over the people, it was about 45 minutes of them hearing it, reading it. And so you could sort of see why the author would not only obviously end, which was a very normal literary technique, end with a benediction, doxology, uh, doxology and final greeting, but it wasn't always the same type of benediction. So, I mean, we have 105, or, and many more probably, benedictions in the Bible with many more doxologies, or doxologias, what they call in, in the Bible, which are prayers of praise uh, back to God. But what our author has done here is he has very, I believe, intentionally baked in the major themes that he went through, through the book of Hebrews, and he's sort of reminding them about it. Now, you may say, well, Pat, this is really kind of a short summary. But again, it took about 45 minutes to read this thing. So it would have been very fresh in their mind when they read this benediction. Boom, God of peace. Boom, great shepherd of the sheep. Boom, eternal covenant. God working in you to do his will, equipping you. These are all sort of points that he felt were the things that they need to hear at the very end of this teaching. And so that's what I believe, God, if we follow the, the, you know, the scriptures and how we should teach the scriptures, we should model that. So what I'm going to do is break down this sort of benediction, prayer, doxology, whatever you, you like to call it, and go through some of these powerful themes that he seems to think are some of the most important themes in this entire passage. At least that's what I get out of it, because when I parallel and match them back to the different chapters in the book, they sort of really jump out at you. Now, again, these aren't all the themes. Right? What would you say is the number one theme in the book of Hebrews? I would say that the supremacy of Jesus Christ overall. And so that is, you know, in anything in the Bible, we could tie that to. But, and there's also the high priesthood, okay? We could sort of move that in here, the atonement, the confession, things like that. But the big ones here are the peace of God, Jesus Christ himself, the great shepherd, and the blood covenant, which is important to understand because a blood covenant seems sort of like a little weird to people if they've never heard it before. It seems a little cultish. Uh, coincidentally, God did not like human sacrifice. He prohibited human sacrifice. And so it's the blood where the life is contained. And so Jesus' blood is what was carried into the Holy of Holies and put on the mercy seat. It was the life is in his blood that saves the entire world of everybody who believes in him. It's powerful enough to save a million times more than that. But he, he spills that blood and he brings it into, it's his body, 
was crucified and was taken, remember, outside the camp. So the blood of the covenant is really, I would say, another very powerful sub-theme here. And then at the very, very end, the very last verse of the passage, grace be with you all. And I know that's sort of like a, you know, we would just sort of see that in like a casual sort of, um, you know, a way to just say whatever. And this, though, this word grace, I believe, is, is, is again another very powerful underlying theme. Although it's not spoken of a, a lot necessarily, it is. Just like the resurrection. The resurrection isn't found in Hebrews, but it's implied everywhere. So we're not going to jump into that. We're going to take a look at some of these revisited themes. And the very first one is right there. Like now the God of peace, the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. And so the God of peace, you may be thinking back when you think of the God of peace or you think about peace. We often think when I think about it, I think of peace with God that I have through his blood and also through his resurrection, which Romans 5.1 says, now therefore we have peace with God, right? We have peace with God because Christ was risen from the dead. We are now justified. How? Because Jesus, by raising from that dead, proved that he had overcome sin and that he was in fact vindicated. He was righteous. He was not thrown into the, the penalty of death. Because he had no sin, and he was God. So he himself, as Jesus said, brought his own life up. But the reason he did that is so we could have peace with God, because God is a God of peace. You see, God doesn't want to have conflict with his people. He sees the importance of it. But God's characteristic, the, one of the things that makes God God, is because he's by nature a peaceful God. Okay, that doesn't mean that God doesn't do some things that maybe contradict that, like we see in the Bible that God sometimes endorses uh, justified war or, or defensive war or whatever he's doing. You know, say, well, wait, this isn't peace. But no, God is reacting to sinful mankind to bring forth his program, to bring forth his restoration project to save people. And in order to do that, he will stop. He won't even he'll give his own son. So anytime you start to think about, well, that's not fair. Just look at God on the cross, the innocent one who's pure, holy, blameless, never sinned and loved you so much to lay down. He did that so you can have peace with God. The sins that separate you, you see, you guys are over here. You guys are over there. You see this aisle. That's nothing. And multiply that times gazillion. You're separated from God. Right out from the womb because of your sin. And, you know, <clears throat> I like what Kevin says. He goes, yeah, if you have, if, imagine this is the ocean and you got to get to Europe and you got to swim from North America. You may be the best swimmer in the world, but you're only going to get maybe a few inches off of that chair. You fall short. We all fall short. So you could be the best person in the world. You could have given all your money to the poor and God would weep. If you don't know Christ, because without that, all of our good works in God's eyes are like filthy rags. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't like your good work if you don't know him. But it's not effective to repair any relationship, let alone a relationship with God. 
by you doing good things. And that's why Jesus came, one of the reasons. He paid the sins because we couldn't. He can leap back and forth through this gap without thinking. And that's what he did for us because we were unable to do it, but ultimately because God was a God of peace. And so you can have peace with that God, but only by coming to Christ and saying, Lord, I promise I'm going to be a really good person now and I'm going to start going to church. No. You say, God, I'm a, I, I know I failed and I know I can't come to you on my own because I'm going to fall short and I need the righteousness of Christ. And then you become a child of God. Now, we also here have that separate, or I'm sorry, the, the great shepherd. We just talked about leadership last week. We talked about the hierarchy, you know, one of the most exciting sermons in the world, the hierarchy of church membership and church order and all that other stuff. And then what was even better was when we went through it on Wednesday night and we had a visitor who never came here and never, you know, was, was new in the, in the Lord. And he had to sit through, you know, 45 minutes of me reiterating all that stuff. I felt so bad. Actually, it didn't quite, quite go that bad. But we were talking about the great shepherd, the authority that the under shepherds in a church have, pastors, elders, overseers. Okay, so we, we see all that, but ultimately we only have authority, we meaning pastors, because we're under the authority of Jesus, the great shepherd. So we're really not anything much. <laughs> we're really just a, a, a mouthpiece for Jesus. And that's hard because we're sinners, right? So we're this mouthpiece for Christ, but he is over us. So he is the great shepherd. And you have to understand, in order to understand how great the shepherd is, you have to first surrender to the fact that you're a sheep. Okay, you're a sheep, and therefore you need a shepherd. I'm a sheep. On my own, without my shepherd, I am going to wander up to that fence in five seconds flat. And I'm going to be looking over how great that grass is. But God, when I start to do that, what does the shepherd do? He gets that, that rod, and it comforts me. Boom! <laughs> your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the shepherd's rod. The sheep, yeah, they may get a little push. But they know the shepherd's faithful not to let them wander. And so when we see that we're sheep in need of a shepherd and that we just sort of wander, we're wandering generalities, Jesus sort of gathers us together and structures us and keeps us. And he is the great shepherd. And again, what did I say before? Resurrection is not mentioned in Hebrews. This really is the only um, reference to it in the book, but it's implied everywhere directly. Now, maybe I'm wrong. If I am, let me know. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the covenant. So this is a resurrection passage. And I love that it's not in here all over the place because these Hebrews understood that it's about the resurrection that's what this is about. That's where we're trying to get to. Heaven is going to be a pit stop. I know we all, we, we say heaven, and what I'm going to explain as the resurrection can be interchangeably, heaven can be used if you want, but I like to be real specific because I think the resurrection is going to be a lot better than heaven. I mean, like not even comparable because we're going to be present with the Lord when we die spiritually, 
But not until we're raised from the dead and renewed bodies on a renewed heaven and a renewed earth are we going, does the game, I believe, really get interesting. Okay? And so that's what's going to end up happening. And why do I like this? Because it's not mentioned, meaning these people understood. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, which resurrection is the underlying elephant in the room here. Where these, the, all the people in Hebrews chapter 11, all the patriarchs that trusted God but never got what they were waiting for, they were talking about the promise, not just the promise of, hey, I'm going to gather you to your, you know, but the promise that you are going to be a nation. You are going to be a full-blown nation. That This world is going to be full of nations and people and families only that love Jesus Christ. And, the, and Revelation says that Jesus is going to come down and heaven and earth are going to be one. And we're going to live forever in a new heaven and a new earth with a renewed body. And there's going to be no need of any sun or moon or even any oceans. It's just going to be all provided for by the presence of Christ. And so the earth becomes the temple of God. And these people knew it. And so it's all over the place. And we have to make sure we don't let this resurrection idea slip by us in our worldview. Because everything you're doing towards the kingdom is building towards that fullness of the kingdom when Jesus returns and brings heaven into earth as one. And that is going to be fun. And it was funny because the other day, because I'm always like, okay, there's two ages, you know, the old age and then the age to come. And I, and I forget where it was, but search it and let me know, because I'll forget, ages. And I know Paul, can, Paul says that God is going to use us in the ages to come. I believe he only says it once. And I know he could be referring to, you know, the immediate ages or whatever you want to say. But I have to believe if we're going to be judging angels, as the Bible says, and we're royal kings and priests, as the Bible says, we're going to be doing a lot more than floating around. As a matter of fact, we're going to be walking around. We're going to have full bodies. Okay, so that's exciting. So we see this resurrection, right? We see this great height. We, we see the God of peace. Now we see Jesus, the great, high, or the great uh, shepherd, the resurrection. And then we get this here through through the eternal blood of the covenant, or as it says here, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. And again, that's part, it's, it's the middle of the, uh, of the phrase there. But the, the focus here is the blood. As we said, this is one of the main things, the blood of the eternal. That's whatever direction you go with eternal, it doesn't stop. Go that way, it doesn't stop. You go that way, it doesn't stop. It's just eternal. Does that mean it had a beginning? No. Does God have a beginning? No. God is always, he always was, he always is, and he always will be. Jesus is eternal, but it's, it's very peculiar, very interesting, right? The blood of the covenant is eternal. That means, guys, that before we were even thought of by our parents, and before our parents were even thought of by their parents, this was a done deal. This was a done deal. Now, that's one thing. But what does that mean to you? Well, that means that if you're Christ's, if you love Jesus, you were his eternally from the beginning. 
God doesn't start to learn things new. He didn't sit there and say, Joshua is going to be my guy. No, Joshua, as a Christian, was always in the heart of God and always will be. So that's very, very encouraging that you have somebody that's going to love you forever that way and that has loved you from that way too. So that's number one. But it also is a very powerful, salvific, salvational, get me saved theme. Because the blood of the eternal covenant, when it comes down on you, that means that you are now made new. You're forgiven. The blood purges all of your sins that way and that way. All the past sins, all your present sins, and all your future sins. Okay, and this is in Christ. This is in Christ. This isn't about if you do good works. This is if you love Christ, he's called you, he's applied his blood to you, you're a believer, you are part of the eternal covenant, you have forgiveness. Think about how that plays out in your life. The things you're feeling guilty over, the things you're worrying about, the sins you're wrangling with, your future, all this stuff. You could just take them serious, work towards them, but you have to set them at the feet of Christ and realize it's his power that's going to change. You, not you. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is all because of this blood covenant that God can never break. Now, you could also, there's some theologians think of the covenant of what they call the covenant of redemption, which is uh, uh, hypothetically before time began. I mean, this follows logically, I guess, that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had a covenant to save a people that would become God's people. God the Father would create, the Holy Spirit would draw, and Jesus would come and atone for that people. And they had to all agree. None of the three can be in disagreement, obviously. God will never call somebody that Jesus isn't going to die for that the Holy Spirit's not going to draw him to or them to. Okay, so this is a super um, incredible doctrine that says that God is in control. That salvation is from the Lord. That God wants your faith and he wants your reliance on Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. He gave his blood. He died. Think of, you know, if, I, if you, any of you people right now came to me and I said, oh, you know what? I bought you something. I bought you something, Andrew. Yeah, you know, I bought you a, a I don't know. You like butter pecan ice cream? There you go. Wow, Pat, you know, that, that's, no, that's, that's, that's really good. That's awesome. Well, um, you are blessed by that. And, and you could say, well, where does this all, you know, fall into in terms of, well, what about, you know, people and their decision and things like that? I don't know. I don't know. We were trying to talk about that today. But I do know that this is a permanent, very serious, serious thing. If I gave him that, Andrew would come up to me at the end and say, I got to know. He gave me this. And he may come back next week and feel like, hey, I got you something. Right? That's what we have to do because we feel like, oh, well, how much? If the Son of God died on the cross, how serious is that? And we have a problem understanding, like really, really being able to, to take that by faith. But that's what it's going to require. It's going to require full blown faith there. 
And so we have this blood, we have this blood covenant. And then those are the main themes. I'm going to save the final theme. I'm going to close with the final theme in a few minutes. And that's going to be grace. But now this benediction, really what a benediction is, is at the end of service, when I come here, I may have hinted towards this in the beginning, but for those of you maybe haven't been here before, you'll, you'll see it in a few minutes, that at the end of service, usually the pastor or an elder will come up and give the final blessing, which is from God to you or to the people. And, and we usually, how I usually do it, is I'll get a scripture and I'll read that scripture and I'll sort of pray that scripture and then we invoke God's blessing on the people. And then the doxology is us praising God. And so we sort of, he sort of combined these two things. But then in this here, he talks about what he wants as a result or what he would expect that would happen after a, you know, a result of hearing all of these incredible themes. And what is the result of that? Well, the result is you... And this is for all of us who are worried about what we're going to do, where God's called. God's going to work in you. Look at that. He's going to equip you with every good thing to do his will. You are going to have that. You are going to have that, right? When in these mythical movies, they meet somebody and they give them, you're going to need this sword and this oil and all this. Don't worry, you'll know when it comes. God gives us everything we need. To fight the spiritual battle, to make our finances work, to trust him with relationships, with, with loss, with all the things that life gives us, he equips us for what we need, not to necessarily feel good, but to do his will. Now, this word equip is unique. It means to become fully matured, ethically. Become. All right, so he's giving you tools that's going to cause you not to instantly turn into that person or instantly defeat that trial or battle, but he's going to help you become that. You're becoming that. So there's this equipping, becoming. That's sort of two things that are working together here. Okay, and that's where this word here we see perfect. Uh, we see it's. Um, uh, equip you in every good thing, but the word other in, in other translations is perfect. Um, and we see that too in Hebrews 9, 9. Um, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper, a worshiper perfect in conscience. We, we see a couple uh, of other uh, usages in that in chapter 10. But God has equipped you with everything you need to do everything he needs you to do because that he's a God of peace and, and because of this blood covenant that just paves the way, transforms you, the resurrection, everything, you have what you need. And he's working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And again, to, be the, to him be the glory, you know, forever and ever and ever. And this is the other thing. We have to understand that this is an internal thing that's going on between you and God. It's an internal thing. It's not always going to manifest the results immediately in the physical. So you're on a journey. It's an internal change that God is working on you, working in you. Okay, so that says he's working in you, as in Philippians, right? To will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2. His good, it's all about him. Where we get wrong is once we start doing God's will, immediately, for me almost, is I all automatically say, okay, I'm doing this, now let me get to my stuff. 
and got all, no, Pat, that's my stuff too. Right? And so we got to just rest and know that we're, God is going to present to us the opportunities. He's going to move us. But it's got to come from the inside out. And of course, it can only happen through Christ. And so the final thing, obviously, I've, I've referred, if you remember, if you were here for the first sermon in Hebrews, verse 22 is what we started with of chapter 13. Remember, we, I said, I'm starting at the end of Hebrews. Why? Because this is what this letter was all about. It was a warning. It was an admonition. It was an exhortation. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for it only took me 45 minutes to write this. He didn't say that. <clears throat> he said, for I've written to you briefly. It was a brief letter. Okay, so <clears throat> he wants them to know. <clears throat> what I'm telling you right here, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm telling you right here is just as urgent as it was when you read it a few minutes ago. Make sure that you bear, don't throw this letter down. Don't sit there and say, oh, wow, I'm losing my salvation, right? Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. We covered all that. Go back to them and reread them, re-listen. All right, he's not saying all that. <clears throat> he's telling them, if you don't make Christ your supreme, your number one, and forget about the old way. The old system is not going to work. It's actually an abomination to God. You see, when we create our own sacrificial system, well, I'm going to sacrifice and give my life over here for God, give my life over there. You just created your own little Torah. You need to realize that Christ is working in you. You could put that aside and realize that you don't have to be morally, the moral stepladder isn't there. That's not what you do. It's Christ that you have to, it's really encountering Christ. It's really knowing him. And so when you're in his presence, you have that. And really, again, the, the, the common theme again, we, we're, we're just piling up on here. The very last verse, grace, grace be with you all. You know, that's, that's uh, again, if you, this Paul, or I believe, again, I could say it now, I believe Paul wrote this, and I, I wish, I, we should just do a sermon on all the reasons why I think Paul wrote this. That would be so exciting, right? <clears throat> but um, I, I believe, you know, that Paul wrote this because he saw that there, were two, there was two churches. There was going to be a Jewish Christian church, which was law and grace, and there was going to be a Gentile church. And so Paul, he just he went through and just destroyed it. Stand up, again, stand up. Read Hebrews, stand up, read Ephesians. Read Galatians. Read Romans. It's, and, and put your unity glasses on. Paul is trying to unify the, these two churches and let them know that it's all about the grace of God now. This is the new Covenant, another very big word that we can't really dig into. But this is the new covenant. It, it doesn't necessarily remove the old. It, it's a natural fulfillment, progression of the old. When the building's built, the scaffolding comes down. You don't keep it there to sort of hang out and decorate it. No, it did its purpose. It was good. But now the house, it includes everything the scaffolding could do and more. Okay, so we have to realize that we can't go back. I know none of you are... We're saying, well, should I go to the synagogue Saturday or go to church on Sunday? Not, nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying I know there may not be people here struggling whether to get back into the law or not. But I tell you, all of us have an old system of religion in us. 
What is it? What is your system of religion? If you say you don't have one, it's pride. As long as you could stay above everybody else and give out every out, give everybody and outserve everybody, you're going to be hardened and blinded. But what is it? That's what we have to find out. What is that religion? For me, it's really good sermons and a lot of people coming to church and people getting saved. No, Pat. Get off of that. Just focused on Christ. It's the grace of God that outwins every time the sin that we commit. If we're in the grace of God. It's not like I'm going to go grab me a Jesus visit on Sunday and then I'm going to go out and I'll be able to sin this week because I said the prayer. I believe in my heart, so I'm good. No, that's not that's that's not salvation. That's trickery. That's works. When you can come to Christ and say, Lord, if it was not for your grace. You know, Martin Luther, I may have said this a couple times in Bible study or here, I don't know. Uh, but he told, he, uh, if you look it up on, on some of his famous quotes, he, was, he has a quote about him, the devil accusing him of how bad of a person he is and how much he deserves God's wrath and how bad of a person he is. And he starts naming all his sins and he, and he goes, you know what? You're right. I'm all those things and a lot more. But because of Jesus Christ, I'm completely forgiven And I'm a work in progress. And that old man is gone. His shadow pops up. And when we give it attention, it starts to animate and control. But when we die to it, God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to change you, will give you victories. But it's all in the grace of God. So we're going to close here. But I, I would challenge you, go back through this benediction. Look at the things that we pulled out. The God of peace. Now go back through Hebrews and see where you could find that. The great shepherd of the sheep, you know, go back through, you know, uh, some, of the, some of the things about Jesus, you know, being the high priest, obviously <clears throat> shepherd and priest, but, you know, he had all those offices. See where you could tie them in. Look at chapter eight about the new covenant, the blood of the covenant. Look at all these things, tie them in and then know <clears throat> And, and then really go down and know that this, go down to this last verse, this is what really truly is, is the switching point. Are you going to come to Christ, accept that grace, or go back to that old way? So I really, pre- I really pray that you guys go and you do this. But I was thinking about next week, maybe reviewing or not. I think I'm not. I think we're going to maybe do some transitional stuff for a week or two, or maybe just jump right in to another book. I'm not sure. But take, take time to do this. And if you have any questions on Hebrews, please let me know. Um, and also we'll obviously be here Wednesday too to, for, for a review. So today we have obviously one of the most <clears throat> important events going on, our annual congregation meeting. Um, and that's going to be probably around what we're going to start. We're going to shoot for 1245, one o'clock. <clears throat> and then we are going to also uh, have fellowship. But before you do that, consider your relationship with Christ. None of us have we don't know when we, how long we have. We don't know if today's the day, tomorrow, the next day. Call out to Christ. Come to him with your sins. Lay them at his feet. Trust him for his salvation. Know that he died. He rose again. He fulfilled all the scriptures. Like a crate, like, in, like over three, almost 400, if you, if you really go into it and look. And so he is calling you. He wants to make you 
into that true human being. If he wants to forgive your sins, I could say that for a fact because you're here hearing this. But he wants that to fasten to your heart and for you to turn from that sin and turn to him. And that's what we pray for you today. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here, you would, you would just take hold of them, Father. You are the great high priest, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Lord, thank you so much for spilling your blood, for saving me, for saving everyone here, Lord, that loves and knows you, God. We don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace. Please go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.